Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. I feel like that looked like, yeah, give it up for that. That was like, it looked like a movie that's going to be playing in the theater here or something. That was so cool. <laughs> I'm fired up. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope our messages like live up to that promo video, but it's going to be a good series, I believe. Well, hey, we have uh, something really special happening here this morning, and that is child dedication. So I just want to invite the Carlsas and the Fast. Come on up, guys. (laughs) Yeah, come on right up here, guys. Amazing. Well, hey, I'm going to give this to you guys right now because my hands are very full. Awesome. Child dedications are something uh, that we do as a church as just a way of coming alongside you guys as families, coming alongside you as parents, coming along uh, Isla, uh, uh, and, and coming along you guys and just being able to actually support you as families, as kids who are growing up in our church and being able to say like, hey, we're going to be raising you guys as a church. And so I just want to read... Uh, Read the words of Jesus here. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And what we see in scripture is that Jesus consistently affirms uh, just the power and potential of children, the importance of investing in kids and investing in the next generation. And so this morning, you guys as parents are kind of following in what Jesus is calling us to here and saying, hey, we want to actually dedicate our children before him. 
We want to dedicate Isla and Lily. We want to actually say that we're going to raise them up and see that potential and that purpose in them uh, and actually raise them into everything that God has in store for them. Uh, and this is an opportunity for us as a community as a, and as a church to come alongside these families and say, hey, we know this is going to be a big journey, but we're here in your corner. We're here to support you. We're here to walk alongside you. We're gonna be here for you guys. Uh, we're gonna be here to support your marriages. We're gonna be here to cheer you on and we're gonna be here for your children. So I'm gonna take some time here this morning uh, and just pray over you guys as family and uh, over these awesome little, little guys. <laughs> uh, if you guys feel comfortable, why don't you just stretch out a hand uh, to pray alongside uh, the Carlson's of past here. Lord God, we just thank you so much for Isla Carlsa. We thank you for Lily Annalise Fast. We thank you for uh, Colin and Jackie and Isaac and Brittany, Lord God. We just thank you for the decisions that they are making even this morning to dedicate these girls to you, Lord God. To say that, hey, we believe that their future belongs to you. We know that your best is your plans and purposes for them. Uh, and we just wanna actually see them grow into all of that. And God, right now, I just pray that you would bless these kids and you would bless these families. You would be with them through the stressful moments, through the exciting moments, Lord God, that you would be walking alongside them in every single thing that they do. I just pray right now that as a church, we would just be championing them and supporting them, God. That every single person here today would know that it's our responsibility to invest in these families. That we would just be available. We'd be willing to lend a helping hand, willing to lend an ear, Lord God. Willing to pray and support them as they raise these kids. We pray this all in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, can we just celebrate these, uh, these guys? Awesome. Amazing. It's always such a special moment that we get to share together as a church. Um, yeah, and I'm excited for everything else that we have going on uh, uh, here this morning. I'm just going to jump. I'm preaching today, so I'm just going to jump right into it now. Uh, but before I get started with that, I have one more announcement for us. Thank you so much, Aurora. Can we just thank Aurora? Thank you. I have one more announcement. I want to talk about pre-marriage. And it works because I'm talking actually about uh, marriage a little bit in my message today and the pre-marriage season before Emily and I got married. And so it's perfect that I'm going to do this announcement right now because I'm going to be honest, guys, uh, it's been a little chaotic the last few weeks. Uh, we have had this announcement about this pre-marriage course that we're doing. Uh, and I think one week it was like, yeah, single people, come on out. That would be great. I'm going to tell you right now, it's all couples conversation based. So don't come if you're single. It would be really awkward. Uh, there was something said about married couples for 30 years coming out. Uh, no, it's a pre-marriage course, so that probably wouldn't be great. Uh, we're going to do a marriage course later uh, on probably early next year. And married couples, we'd love to have you there for that. Uh, so I just want to clarify so that it is like crystal clear. This is all my fault, by the way. I am responsible for running the pre-marriage course, and I'm responsible for making sure MCs know what to say. And so this is all on me, 100%. But here is what it is. Our pre-marriage course is for dating couples. 
engaged couples and newlywed couples. So if you're here and you're like, hey, we're, we're dating, we've been dating for a little while, maybe we haven't started the conversations around marriage or we're just getting started with those conversations and, and we want some space to actually have that discussion, to unpack it a little bit uh, and really even decide like, hey, should we be getting engaged to each other? Do we still have more work to do? Where are we at? Let's get a temperature check. It is great for you if you're engaged and you wanna be doing some of that intentional work together as a couple to, to make sure that you're aligned with one another and with God, that is awesome. Uh, and if you're newlywed and maybe didn't have an opportunity to do any sort of pre-marriage or prep before you jumped into that, uh, and you're like, hey, you know what? We just feel like we could use some of that alignment right now. Uh, I would encourage you to sign up for this. It's going to be a date night style thing. Uh, so we're going to be doing it where we, we come together, everybody comes together, and couples will each have their own table. Uh, there's probably going to be like some little candles on the table. It's going to be kind of set up like a nice sort of vibe. There's going to be some like good snacks and food uh, and things like that. It's like some, some apps, maybe some desserts or something. Uh, and what we're going to do is it's going to be a combination of watching videos and then pausing and discussing with your partner. So there's there's like a pre-assessment, there's five weeks of these date night style uh, times where you get to have a conversation and work things through with your partner. Uh, and then at the end of it, there's gonna be an, uh, a married couple within our church that will invite you into their home, have you over and go through kind of a final kind of questionnaire and, and chat through with you uh, as you kind of exit the pre-marriage course. So that is the pre-marriage course. Has everybody got it? Awesome, seeing lots of thumbs up, lots of smiles, perfect. Well, hey, I'm, uh, did Sai just say sounds good? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right, I want to read today from 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 5. This is Paul talking, and he says this. He says, I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit than from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You put up with it easily enough. Why don't we pray? God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, I just thank you, even just for the chance that we had this morning already to dedicate uh, uh, these children before you, Lord God, and just to, to commit to raising them up as you have called us to. Lord, I just pray that as we take some time and we unpack these words of Paul, as we unpack this scripture, Lord God, that you would just be working inside of our hearts. I just pray that every single person here today, God, would already just be opening ourselves up and saying, God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to do in my heart? What do you want to do in my life here this morning? God, I pray that these would not be my words, Lord, but yours, that you would move this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Easily enough. If you're taking notes, you can title this message, Easily Enough. A different gospel from the one you accepted, you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. See, we're in a series right now called Close to Home. And this is an opportunity for us to speak fairly boldly and directly 
to some things that hit close to home for us as a church. It's an opportunity for us as we prepare for the fall and this season where we have such an incredible opportunity to reach people with the love of God as people are uh, getting back into routines and getting back into their schedules and resetting their calendars and coming back from the cottage and their kids are getting back to school. And we have this incredible opportunity right now uh, uh, with this, the time of year that we're in to actually share the good news of Jesus with people, to actually make coming to church and engaging with their faith a part of their routines and their habits to, to an opportunity right now to actually transform people's lives in the season that we're heading into. We want to take some time and just say, all right, let's speak to some things. Let's actually like, let's make sure that we're prepared for this and we're not missing this incredible opportunity we have to reach our friends and our family and our city. And so if you're here today and you're a part of the church, you're like, okay, I'm a part of Slate. I'm a part of the church. Maybe you don't even consider yourself a part of the church, but you're like, you know, I've been coming for a few months now. I've been kind of getting connected, getting involved a little bit, uh, you know, maybe attending. Um, I just want to encourage you that this message is for you. It's going to be a, a message that is centered on, on kind of calling us to a higher standard, but also reminding us of the beauty and the goodness of Jesus' love for us. And if you're here this morning and you're a little bit newer, you're tuning in today and, and you're a little bit newer to Slate Church or newer to faith, um, I really hope that we can take some time today and reiterate the gospel. That just means the good news, the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection, of the sacrifice he made for us and the love that he has for us. And so uh, I'm excited to jump into it. I think in order to kind of understand this passage that we have here from Paul, I think the first place we need to start is by understanding this metaphor of the church as the bride. See, Paul says, he says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. You might be listening like, what the heck is he talking about? Is this about me? Who is this about? See, Paul was writing here to the church in Corinth. Uh, this church uh, community in this place called Corinth, uh, and he was giving them this kind of challenge and encouragement. And I believe that what he says here, we can actually, you know, to some extent, actually learn from and take on uh, as the church in Waterloo, as the church in Kitchener-Waterloo, in, in this region right here, right now, uh, and actually learn from it. And so he's speaking to it, and he's speaking of this metaphor uh, as the church as Christ's bride, which is an important metaphor that we actually see kind of throughout Scripture. I guess perfect timing to be talking about this because every year as we head into the fall, I'm just like reminded of my marriage, uh, and I'm reminded of my love for Emily, and it's our favorite season because we fell in love in the fall. And so... We actually, like, it's so lame. We were, like, driving to church today, and we do this thing every year around this time of year where as soon as we start to see any orange on trees, we have to point it out. Uh, and so we're just, like, driving, and I'm just, like, fall, because there's, like, an orange leaf. Uh, and Emily sees a tree. She's, like, fall. And we just have to point out, and, but it's like this weird thing where all we're saying is fall, and we're pointing at trees, um, and it's like, it's like you're, like, some of you with toddlers, like, oh, yeah, that's what they do. Um, but we're doing this, and it's like every time we do, I feel like for Emily and I, it's just like a little way of saying I love you. It's like, oh, man, like our first few dates when we really started to fall in love was in the fall. We got engaged in the fall. We were married in the fall. And for us, it just has all these reminders and memories of our relationship and our love for each other. And I remember almost exactly five years ago, or exactly five years ago, we were two months away from marriage. And I just remember like all the planning 
and all the expectation and all the nerves and all the excitement that was going into that season. I just remember like being so like stressed and overwhelmed, but also just so excited. And it was like this total blend of emotions. And we were just trying to prepare everything we possibly could. We're like preparing our finances. We're merging our bank accounts. We were like trying to prepare physically. I was hitting the gym like crazy. I wanted to look good in that wedding suit. Uh, we were doing marriage prep and we were talking through stuff. We were planning our honeymoon. I also think that as we were preparing for marriage, Emily and I tried to have every single argument. And so we're like, hey, you know what? Let's just get them all done now so we don't argue when we're married. Uh, and I swear that like over those few months before we got married, we're just like, we got to get it all out on the table. What haven't we talked about? What haven't we worked through? And we're just trying to like get everything done. Um, pro tip, I would say it's good to check on those things, to have those conversations before marriage. Once again, alpha pre-marriage is going to be a great course. Uh, I would also say you're probably not going to get through them all. Turns out a couple more will come up after you're married. Uh, fun fact. But we were putting so much work and so much effort as we prepared for marriage. And this is the metaphor that Christ uses for his church. He talks about this metaphor of, of, uh, of, of waiting with your lantern for the bridegroom to come. And this idea that, that we need to be vigilant as the church in waiting for him to return. And what we see is this theme that's carried out for actually the Old Testament and the way that Israel was talked about as the bride of God all the way through uh, the New Testament and Jesus owns words and describing himself as the bridegroom that's going to come, saying that, yes, he lived on earth, he died, he rose again, and then he went back to heaven. And right now we're living in a period of waiting where he's going to come back once again. And so right now the period or the time in history that we're in is like the engagement season. It's like we're engaged and we're waiting for the bridegroom or the groom to come back. And, he's, and he encourages us and he tells us to wait vigilantly, to stay alert, to stay ready, to stay awake, to keep preparing ourselves. And so just like Emily and I, as we were getting ready for marriage, us as the church, we're called to be in a season of preparing ourselves, of getting our finances in order, of working out, of trying to have every argument, of doing the marriage prep, of making sure that we're in the right state, in the right place for Christ to come back and be fully united with us. And this is what Paul is speaking about as he writes to the church in Corinth. He's referencing what Jesus said and this big idea. He says, I promise you the one husband. He's like, I built this church. I started this church. I showed you who Jesus was, but I've promised you to one husband. I've promised you to Christ. I believe that you are meant to be fully his because he is the creator of all things. He is the one who has planned and purposed your life. He is the one who has written your story. And so I've promised you to him because he is a groom who loves you. You are his beloved. The God of the universe cares about you so deeply that he is going to come back so that he can be fully united with you. He loves you so much. And I've prepared you not to be a, a, a bride that has, is in complete disarray with mangled hair and like just like not ready with a torn veil or something like that. He's like, but I have called you and I've been preparing you because I want you to be like an amazing, excited bride who is ready and waiting for her husband to come. This is such a beautiful thing that Christ, the creator of the universe, would love us so much that it would be like a bride and a groom in our relationship with him as the church. It's so beautiful that we are his beloved and he wants to be united fully with us and we can't lose the weight of that. 
But honestly, I think for myself, I've just been wrestling with this idea of easily enough. Paul says, someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached. Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Man, if I'm going to be honest, like, I'm just tired of how easy it is for me, like, for me personally to put up with ideas of what it means to follow Jesus that just aren't right. Like, honestly, I just find myself, like, time and time again just, just letting these thoughts and narratives and ways of thinking slip in that are just not what the gospel actually is. And I find myself like, I'm like, why do I just put up with it so easily? Like, why is it so easy for me to believe that, 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 that you know what, like, uh, like, like that actually just like getting ahead financially and being super prepared for the future and all this kind of stuff is where I can put my trust and my hope. Or how is it that I can just like sometimes just like so easily start to slip into things like, well, God just wants me to be well rested and God wants me to, 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 to be comfortable and God wants me to just have like this calm, peaceful kind of life. And here's the thing. I believe that God wants me to have peace, but that doesn't mean that he wants me to just like shy away from challenging situations. He's called us to, into situations where we're going to suffer, where we're going to receive challenges, where we're going to need to put some work in. He's called us to care for the least of these, to share the message of his good news. But sometimes I just start to convince myself that it's not that we're going to have peace in that, but I can just have peace by just chilling and sitting back. And honestly, I'm just feeling tired in myself personally of how easily enough I can accept these ideas. How easily enough I can begin to see my time with God slip away in my calendar. How easily enough I can see my commitment to actually sharing his good news with the people I come across in my daily life slip away as the fear of putting myself out there builds up inside of me. How easily enough I find it to actually just take step back, steps back from things and just retreat into myself and spend some more time with Netflix and spend some more time, you know, just like watching some YouTube videos or even spend some more time on good things like, like working out or, 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 or planning stuff for the future and different things like that, but aren't the main thing. And I'm tired of it in myself. And I want to make sure that for us as a church, we're not allowing these things to easily enough slip in. That we're not allowing these ideas that are not actually the true gospel, the true good news of Jesus, derail us and knock us off course uh, as a church and miss the opportunity we have to transform our region. I want to go a little deeper on the context of this passage. You see Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth and um, and, and, and they're in this situation where they've been listening to other teachers. And there's been other people that have come in and, and tried to be teachers or, or, or sharers of the gospel or preachers to this church in Corinth and leaders to them after Paul established the church who have been saying things contrary to what Paul said. And it's interesting. It, it sounds by the context that we have that these people likely would have had better resumes than Paul. And we see the church in Corinth actually ask Paul for his resume. And he is like, are you kidding me? 
It's like, you're asking me for my resume right now? Like, what are you talking about? And there's this um, kind of tra like tradition or, or cultural thing at the time called the cursus honorum. The cursus honorum or the course of honors. And it's this, uh, basically, essentially, it was this resume that people of high rank and high ability would have within the Roman Empire at this time. And so it was a big deal. People cared a lot about their cursus honorum, about their resume, about their status, about what they had done. And this would include things like your status and your position in society. It would include uh, you know, any big civil service uh, jobs that you had had or public projects you had worked on, things that you had built or created or made or been a part of. It would include uh, uh, political offices that you had held, places you'd, uh, that you had been elected. Um, we can see that the teachers that were talking to the people in Corinth were likely Jews and, and they probably would have boasted in their heritage and they would have boasted uh, in, in being descendants of Abraham and had all their genealogies mapped out. And we see that it would have also included uh, their military careers and their military service and kind of like their medals of honor and their bravery. And it's not to say that any of these things are bad, but what we see is that the people in Corinth were getting so distracted and caught up and like, look at these impressive leaders. Man, Paul, Paul's kind of shabby. Paul even says himself, he wasn't the best communicator. He wasn't the best speaker. He wasn't the best orator. And they're kind of like, oh man, Paul is a little shabby. Hasn't held those political offices. Maybe doesn't have the same credentials as some of the, look at these leaders. Wow, aren't they impressive by the standards of the Roman Empire? Look at the things they've built. Look at the things they've done. Look at the worldly success they have. Look at the money they've made. Look at what they own. Look at their genealogy and their family history. Wow, they come from a good stock. They come from a, that's so cool. And they were getting caught up. Not saying that those things are bad, but they were prioritizing those things instead of prioritizing the message. They were prioritizing the status over the heart. They were prioritizing the outward signs of success. And in so, they were compromising the truth of the gospel and accepting false narratives. And I believe today that if we want to actually step into all that God is calling us to as a church, if we want to step into the opportunity that we have this fall to reach our friends and to reach our families, if we want to step into what God wants to do across our region, then we have to make sure that we're actually able to identify what is the true gospel and what is the world's gospel. We need to make sure that we're not getting caught up on the flashiest leaders and the flashiest Instagram influencers with their business and fitness tips or whatever it is, but we're actually focused on the core and the heart and the truth of what Jesus is speaking to us. And so really quickly right now, I just kind of want to go through uh, a couple different contrasts between the gospel and the world. And this is not an exhaustive list, but just like a few things that I think like we can see today as some of these false narratives or these false stories that can easily enough slip in and we can buy into. The first one is content and comfort. The, uh, the narrative of content and comfort. That if we just consume enough content, if we just make ourselves comfortable enough, then we'll be satisfied. I, it's just like so much of our world today is built on this barrage of content, on just more for us to take in and to process in our brains. There's always another suggested video. There's always something else you can scroll to. There's always another movie or another show that you can get excited about. 
Always another book that you can read. Always another leadership principle you can eat up. Always another uh, financial market analysis you can break down. Always another investment strategy that you can pursue. And we live in this world where our content and comfort promise us satisfaction. Where that if we just scroll a little bit more, if we just spend a little bit more time taking things in, then we're going to be okay. But oftentimes, this is actually just like white noise. It's just noise for the sake of noise, things that distract us and allow our brain to just kind of eat away time, to just chew things up without actually going deeper, without actually taking us anywhere. And we pursue comfort at all costs, and we get ourselves as comfortable as we possibly can with like the perfect house and the perfect setup and the perfect big screen TV and the perfect game with the perfect team, and something is still missing in us. And see, what we see is that when, when we actually pursue comfort and content as our satisfaction, it closes us to connection. See, by constantly consuming, by constantly going for what's comfortable, by constantly prioritizing what's going to make us feel better in the moment, in our diets, in our content, in our homes, in our work decisions, in our church, we actually close ourselves off to connection. By constantly consuming and filling our brains, we lose opportunities to see what's right in front of us. We lose opportunities to actually have the health and beauty of relationships that God is calling us to. See, while content and comfort close us to connection, the gospel makes us available for relationship. See, the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that although we have sinned, although we are broken, although we have fallen short of God and we have evil inside of us, even though we don't deserve it, even though it doesn't make sense for a perfect God to have a relationship with us, that in spite of all of that, through Christ's death, through his resurrection, he has made a way for us to have a relationship with God. See, the God of the universe... The God who created every single thing, every star in the galaxy. Go look at some of the photos NASA is releasing and just that whole idea will blow your mind. That God wants to live inside of us. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He wants a relationship with us. And I think some of us are content to just turn Netflix back on and never actually open up our Bibles. See, we have been offered this relationship. We have been offered this connection. We have been offered something deep and meaningful with the creator of the universe. And I think that so often, instead of that, we're willing to just consume content, just to chew up whatever's in front of us, instead of actually setting some healthy boundaries, creating the space, and spending time with our creator. And what we see when we do this, when we actually put some limits on what we're consuming, when we actually don't buy into this narrative that that's going to satisfy us, is that we open ourselves up for transformation. That God begins to change our hearts. He begins to change our values. He begins to change our desires. And he draws us closer to him. See, another one that we have is political deliverance. Political deliverance. I think a lot of times in our world today, we look at political leaders and we begin to see deliverance or hope coming from them. We look around and we tell ourselves, man, if we could just get rid of Trudeau, everything would be okay. Man, if we could, if we could just get that politician elected, everything would be okay. Man, if we just had this new healthcare policy or this universal basic income or whatever policy is your pet policy that you think is the best, it's like, then everything would be okay. 
If we could just figure out that problem, if the U.S. could just elect this person, if, if, if the U.N. could just do that, if Russia could just do this, if, if this, if that, if this, if that, and we get so obsessed with these leaders and with these policies and with these political ideologies, and we believe that our hope and our safety can come from them. We look at a chaotic world, a world with a lot of inflation, with economic instability that we're experiencing right now, and it's understandable that we feel fearful. It's understandable that we feel worried, but as Christians and believers in a God who loves us, in a God who is going to come back for us, and as Christians and people who believe that at the end of time, Jesus is going to come back and we're going to get to spend all of eternity with him, we cannot let this fear of what is happening in the world in a moment drive our actions, and we cannot look for our hope in short-term solutions. See, I think it is important for Christians to engage in politics. I think it's good for us to learn about these things and vote and actually be involved in it and, and advocate to try and make the world more Christ-like as best as we can. But I also believe that we cannot be putting our hope in politicians. We can't be putting our hope in a policy. We can't be putting our hope in an economic strategy. Our hope needs to be in Christ and Christ alone, and our engagement with politics needs to flow from that. See... When we focus on politics, it pushes our actions further away from us. See, so often politics, so often uh, economics, these, literally my undergrad degree is politics and economics. So like, I, like I've, I've been into this stuff, but these things, they're so far removed from our day to day. They're removed from our internal monologues and our internal selves. They're removed from our families and our friends. They're removed from our relationships. And we focus all of our action and all of our effort on like our social media activism and on these things that are so far removed from our actual real day in and day out relationships. And so what we see is that while political deliverance as a way of thinking pushes our actions further from us, the gospel brings them closer. See, Jesus' whole point, his whole message to people was, I want your hearts. He was talking to political leaders. He was talking to people with a lot of authority and a lot of power who were doing and saying all the right things. And he challenged them. He said, it's not good enough to do and say all the right things. It's not good enough to have political power. He's like, what I want is you. I want your heart. I want to transform you from the inside out. And what we see is that even in a context where the Israelites were oppressed and abused, where they were held down with the firm boot of the Roman Empire on their necks, and they were looking for a savior that was going to come and deliver them politically, that was going to come and take down the Roman Empire. And Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. That was his response. I want you to love your neighbor because the gospel always works inside out. It starts in our hearts. It starts with us being transformed. It goes to the closest relationships, to our families, to our children, to our close friends. It goes to our church community and how we treat one another. It goes to the relationships that we have outside of that. It goes to our neighbors. And what we see is that when we actually allow the gospel to transform us, when we allow ourselves to actually bring the action closer to home, to take action to those next door to us, we see political transformation in the long run. And finally, I want to contrast this with the gospel of personal achievement. Personal achievement. I think, honestly, this is one of the toughest ones. And there's frankly like a lot of pastors and preachers who 
say things like, hey, like, you know, like just trust in God and, and, and we're, you're going to get that wealth. You're going to get those finances or, or you're going to get this blessing. And we talk about it in such a general term sometimes that I think we start to trick ourselves and believe that this is about worldly success. And so we start to believe in this gospel or this good news of personal achievement that, all right, if I follow Jesus, I can achieve my dreams. I can have everything I want. I can be like these Roman uh, uh, leaders in the church in Corinth who were uh, uh, bragging about their military resume and about their business acumen and about their big success on these big projects. I can get ahead in my career. I can get that car. I can buy a house. I can do all these things. I can achieve personally, and I'm going to feel satisfied. And see, what happens, and the problem with this gospel, this problem with that good news and the flaw, is that when we pursue personal achievement, we prioritize broken desires. Because in pursuing these achievements, we're pursuing the desires of ourselves as broken people, as people with flaws, as people that still have some evil inside of us. And so even the best things that are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, when we put them as our main goal and where we put our hope, they're ultimately going to lead to hurting ourselves and to hurting others. See, well, personal achievement leads to broken, prioritizing broken desires. The gospel shows us our proper place and our proper purpose. See, the good news of Jesus says that I created you. I formed you. I made you. And although you have sinned and although you have fallen short of my glory, I love you enough to have a relationship with you. I love you enough that I'm going to empower you and fill you with my spirit, not so that we can live out our own desires, not so we can live out our own definitions of success by our world standards, but so that we can live out the calling and purpose that we were actually made for. And there's something so beautiful and so satisfying about living out what we're actually made to do. And I love it. Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians in chapter 11 here, he gets to this point. And he goes on this absolute, like, tirade, this little rant. And he, he specifically says, I'm being ridiculous. I'm being a fool here. But he goes on and, and he contrasts himself with these other folks that have been teaching the people in Corinth. And he gives his resume. He gives his cursus honorum, and uh, it's pretty bad. He says this. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, he says, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's, de Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have, I, I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I have faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He says, if I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 
If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He says, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And the super interesting thing about that is that one of the top things you could put on this Corsus Honorarium, one of the top things you could put on this resume was something called the uh, Corona Morales, not the virus, the Corona Morales, which means the wall crown the wall crown, and it was for a soldier when they were sieging a city who was the first one over the wall, a really dangerous position. And that was the, like, that was like the medal of honor. That was like the most like highlight and peak of bravery. And Paul is saying, I swear to the Lord that when there was danger, I was lowered down from the wall in a basket. He's saying like, yeah, You have your people with military prowess. You have your people with their great resumes. He's like, but I believe in the gospel. The gospel that all it takes to accept is to admit that I am weak. To admit that in my weakness, I am strongest. To admit that I am broken. To admit that I'm the kind of coward who's going to jump in a basket and get lowered down from the wall instead of running up it. To admit that I have been disliked by everybody. That I have been broken. That I have been beaten. That I have suffered for what God has called me to, that I have been denied worldly status, but on the other side of that, I have found true peace and true purpose in the Christ who has called me. Come on, when we're working on an eternal timeline, it totally changes what success means to us. And I believe it's so easy for us to fall away from this, living in one of the most comfortable countries and one of the most comfortable times on earth. But we are God's bride. We are his beloved, we are his church, and he loves us, and he wants to make us beautiful. And I believe that for us, right here, right now at Slate Church, we have an opportunity. And I want to make sure we don't miss it, because as we go into this fall season, as we go and we do this new series and our fall kickoff, the reason we're investing so much in this is because it matters. And it's a great opportunity to reach people with the love of God. And it would just be such a shame if your friends and your coworkers and your family missed out on this. And so I want to encourage us today. God loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And I want us to, to today just begin to surrender some of these ideas, begin to surrender some of the false narratives, to begin to identify the things that we have allowed easily enough to slip into our thought processes, to slip into our minds, to allow us to get complacent and comfortable and begin to challenge ourselves and say, God, what do you have in store for me? It might mean more work. It might mean waking up earlier and showing up and helping out on muscle team on Sunday mornings. It might mean actually sacrificing some of our time uh, uh, to, to get involved with what God is doing here at church. It might mean actually being like, you know what, I'm just going to prioritize my local in my calendar and actually show up and invest in this community. It might mean putting ourselves outside of our comfort zones and actually inviting our coworker to come out to church. It might mean just setting aside a few more minutes in the morning and saying, God, I'm not going to start my day without spending time with you. I'm not going to consume any content before I spend my time with you and let you transform my heart. I don't know what it looks like for each of us, 
But I believe that God is wanting to form us and shape us. He's wanting to work in us. He's wanting to make us a beautiful bride. And my hope today is that we would challenge our preconceptions and open ourselves up to the process. Why don't you stand with me today? If you're here right now and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before, I just want to give you an opportunity to make that choice. So I was going to close your eyes and bow your heads just this is a private moment. But if you're listening to this and you're like, I've never heard this good news. I didn't know that I needed saving. But now that I'm here, I'm recognizing and feeling like, yeah, I've messed some things up. I do have brokenness inside of me. I do need saving. I have been pursuing goals that haven't satisfied me. So I want to encourage you today that Christ offers us a life and a life more abundant. It's not a life without work. It's not a life without suffering. It's not a life without challenge. But it is a life that is satisfying and peaceful as we operate in what God has called us to. And so if you're here today and you want to make that decision for the first time to follow Jesus, to actually have a relationship with the creator of the universe, to live out your life with him, why don't you just raise a hand right now? If you're here and you just want to make that choice to follow Jesus, why don't you just raise a hand up? Awesome, thank you. I'm just going to pray for you. Guys, thank you for those making a decision to follow you here this morning, God. I pray right now that you would just be with them, that you would comfort them, and you would come alongside them, even in this moment, Lord God, they would know that you are with them. Lord, we know that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you are Lord, that you have saved us and that we can have relationship with you. So right now, Lord God, I just pray that you would bless these people, you would be with them, and you would help them as they journey into further relationship with you, God. I pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, I also just want to take a second right now and pray for any of us who are just like, yeah, honestly, easily enough, there's been some false ways of thinking that have been popping into my head. I've been struggling with just like kind of missing the point of what Jesus has for my life. I've been struggling with missing the opportunities he's placed in front of me to make disciples and carry out his kingdom. And I actually just surrender that to him right now and ask that he would just provide me clarity with his purposes for my life. So why don't we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed? This is private. If you're here and you're like, you know what? It's been easy enough for me to accept this, but it's time to shut it down. Why don't you just raise a hand? My hands up, hands going up all over this place. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Lord God, I just pray for every single person here who is just saying, Lord, we need you. God, we need you to actually move in our hearts. We need you to transform us from the inside out. We need you to actually shut down these false narratives. Enough is enough. I am choosing you and your plans and your purposes for my life. So God, right now, I just pray that you would just inspire us that you would just make clear to us our next steps, Lord God, and you would draw us closer to you in this moment, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.